Welcome to episode 1617 of the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann. This episode is The Forager's Apprentice with Victoria Graba of Charm City Farms in Baltimore, Maryland. This is the first of two in-person conversations recorded in early 2016, and is a follow-up to the interview recorded last year with Eric and Victoria. Today the focus is on Victoria and the Forager's Apprentice program, a course which provides a foundation to her students in botany, wild foods, and herbal medicine. The class starts the conversation, but as always with this show, where we wind up is much broader and deeper than just that, as we talk about the personal change that comes from a connection with nature, to know that nature is us and we are it, that we create our lives and the resulting yields from the system, that we are not passive in our role as shepherds or stewards, and that each of us can choose to take action out of fear or out of love. Just as we hold that choice, Victoria shares how her studies of healing led to an understanding that trusting ourselves, one another, and the mystery of life leads to abundance and true lasting security. In a way, we become free like never before. Today's interview is brought to you by listeners like you who sign up as ongoing members at patreon.com by those who make one-time contributions via the paypal link on the sidebar of the podcast website at the permaculturepodcast.com and by the show's sponsors the sponsors of the day are permi kids and your garden solution permi kids created by jen mendez a permaculture practitioner and educator is a resource to inspire and nurture those teachers parents and families interested in incorporating permaculture education into the lives of children, in the community, or at home. Through her site, Jen offers a free ongoing podcast where you can learn about transitioning to a rich, ecologically sound life that includes children and learning at every step of the way. If you'd like to dive deeper, you may be interested in her Community Experiential Education by Design program or the ongoing Edge Alliances. Find out more at permikids.com. Your Garden Solution is a Pennsylvania company run by a permaculture practitioner and their business partner that helps people to garden using the techniques developed by Mel Bartholomew and popularized in his book, Square Foot Gardening. In addition to garden installations and education, they also offer a variety of products ready for your garden needs. Find out more at yourgardensolution.org. Also be sure to visit the other podcast sponsors, Inside Edge Design at insideedgedesign.com and Good Seed Company at goodseedco.net. Now then, on to Victoria. I'll join you again afterwards. What were some of the highlights of the first Forger's Apprentice, and what did you learn in that process? And as you share that with us, can you tell everyone here what the Forger's Apprentice program was, why you started it, and why it matters? So the idea was for me to, to put together all the practical pieces and academic pieces that I've learned regarding botany and ethnobotany and naturalism and ecology that aren't really available like in ecology, you know, you can't really study. And I really just wanted to take people into semi-wild spaces, you know, around here, not, you know, careful medicine gardens or, you know, here's our ethnobotanical garden where everything has a sign, but to kind of invite people into the world that I love so much. So that was the main idea. So, yeah, I guess I was saying, I, I don't really connect to a lot of 
uh, naturalist programs, and I, I connect less and less to a lot of herbal programs um, as every year goes by. And I, I don't connect very much to a lot of ecology in the way that programs and, and fields in it are taught. So this was, you know, just me creating what made sense to me. In terms of highlights, <laughs> I'm... I feel like I'm I'm just starting to kind of get out of the the like the pitch of the learning curve I've had teaching for the last 3 years. This will be my really third year teaching a lot. So, you know, for this this course, I learned a lot um just as a teacher how to teach it. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about you know, what I want to add to it, what I want to take away and tweak and here and there. One of the things that people really connected with is that your background and the candor that you had with us in the first interview, that you have a background where you really could have go, where you really could have gone and done anything that you wanted, but this is the path that you've chosen to go down and to develop this idea of the forger's apprentice and take it from what could have been a very academic science, I mean, we, we nerded out on science the last time we were talking, kind of, you know, had those smiles on our faces and the the little applause of, of the way that we get to know and learn about plants and through the scientific method and reducing things. But a lot of what has really come forth in The Forger's Apprentice is about that intuitive knowledge, the, the ways of knowing that we can have through experience. And I'm wondering why that became such a meaningful part of this program to make it such a hands-on approach for people who are interested in learning about foraging and plants and herbal medicine to take that approach as opposed to the background that you first came from? I'm really a a wolf in sheep's clothing then, or a sheep in wolf's clothing, where, you know, I may be walking around and teaching and talking about things that look like plants and nature nowadays, and that's my particular path. That's just my, you know, this one, this time around, just doing that. But it's kind of a cover-up for, you know, my real business is consciousness, or my real business is what, you might call spirit, what some people call the beloved, what some people call the mystery, what some people call following one's own soul, following one's own daemon, and what, what I think we're all, we're all doing at different levels of awareness of it. Um, so my real passion, my devotion is for liberation, regardless of what that looks like. And going about this in a very naturalist kind of way is just the way that I seem to be doing it. To me, there's so much fear. There's so much fear in our world right now, or all our culture, about nature, even our own nature. Like anything that is wild or that's not under our control or that we just don't know. Um, so many kids like grow up and their moms like, you know, don't go to the edge of the lawn. You're gonna get Lyme's disease nowadays, or like you're gonna get kidnapped. Or there's just so many people I know who are so um, have never had that kind of like, you know, rolling, nestling in the bosom of earth. And I think that's, that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I still, still do want to do. I'm on a path, and I'm learning, and I'm, I'm doing my own work every day. You know, every, every moment, I, there's things that I'm dedicated to, and that I'm having to, I'm having to face stuff every day and every moment, and rededicate myself to stuff, and trust like crazy, um, and be confused, and all that. But to the extent that I have done that and I continue to do that, and all that has entailed a lot of different schooling I've done. It's entailed a lot of things people might call spiritual practices. Um, nowadays, they don't really have a definition. But to the extent that I have done that and am doing it, 
I feel and I hope that I'm able to invite people into those places where they're trying to do it and they are doing it. And with nature and plants, that just looks like unraveling all the ideas that we have about what all of this is. You know, science is so full of ideas about, you know, nature is this way and this way and this way, and we can catalog it like this and like this. And that's just one small perspective. And if you look at, you know, even old naturalist books, even from the 70s, every, every generation's had like these shiny examples of, you know, we glorify Aldo Leopold and Henry David Thoreau and all these people. Um, there's been these shining lights always of awakeness and awareness about uh, the profound mystery and intelligence and complexity and preciseness and intelligence of the natural world. I'm learning every day, and I, I don't teach perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm always trying to deepen myself into that more and more. But I'm seeking to help people unravel ideas that are not serving them and that are not serving us all as a whole. And I want to support people to first trust. <laughs> like, okay, I'll make it like, whatever, we're here, whatever, there's trust, we can hold this. Trust enough to start to, to maybe listen to those like little, little whispers in here. And then those little whispers, like, you know, in the grass and in the woods and whatever. And follow that in whatever unique way it is, which is like every, like, there's like infinite unique way. There's like, you know, there's like an explosion that can happen, like in every single person, like in every cell of every one of us. And there's no way that I could even know all of those ways. But I want to support all of those ways. And this is just the language that I do it through. Um, and that language will always be changing, I'm sure. It, it always has been, um, but, you know, that's as, as frank and out of the box as I can be about it, you know? I'm, I, I'm, I'm becoming less and less afraid these days. <laughs> Fear is always like, I feel like the more, you know, if you're a meditator or whatever, you start out being like, fear is not a part of my life. And then like the more you do it, you realize like fear is like the back of every emotion and every thought, everything that happens is like, fear is everywhere. So I'm becoming less afraid slowly, gradually, having to like peel it off, slowly less afraid of being completely rejected um, by the whole world if I am a little more frank about my true intentions and my true doings. Do you find that putting yourself out there through the instruction, the teaching of the Forger's Apprentice provides an opportunity for you to do that yourself, as well as then for your students when they come to the class and they begin to work through these pieces that first are, are plants and the natural world as that deepens and becomes more of the mystery that you're able to draw out more than from others so that all of you can face that? I mean, this is all a process, um, you know, by all, by all means. You know, most of the time we're sitting there talking about, you know, the botany of leaves or something like that, or, you know, the vocabulary of Western herbalism. Um, so I don't know that, I don't know how much, if any, beyond that comes out Again, this was like my first run, so I, my hope is that, that those invisible pieces that I can't fully articulate even, but that are my focus, is that as I am able to relax more and learn more and be more in the flow of everything, I would hope that I, to be a better transmitter for those, you know, for invisible teachings.
Um, we started um, grounding and centering and meditation, the beginning of, beginning of any, every class, and um, the times when you blind, blindfolded us and we had to smell different things, that was all using that other part of our brain that wasn't the logical, written, and um, I don't know, I knew in the first class when you had us dig up different samples of soil that were only like 20 yards apart and to smell and detect the differences, that sparked something in my brain and I knew this was going to be a wonderful class and it was. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in that heady space of academia and there's something though about removing yourself from that academic setting and to get your hands in the dirt as you were going through that I find really helps to reconnect ourselves with the cycles of nature and the earth. And for me, it wasn't directly through a course experience. It was through becoming a parent and having kids. And yesterday, having to pick my daughter up and carry her to the van and go, no, we've talked all weekend about going to the park. We're going. Putting her in the van and then about halfway through as she has mud up halfway up to her knees and she's saying, dad, this is the best day of my life so far this year. And then her brother goes down into a mud hole. <laughs> But the way that we each get to experience those kinds of things and the space that we're able to create in order to move through. And I'm like the least spiritual person that I can think of in many regards, but still recently through some of my experiences that I've had working the earth and traveling into communities that are really trying to do something different, the way that that changes my perspective. And though I might not agree with the idea of a mystery, I have no other words for it than to, to know that that's the space that I'm inhabiting right now. As I mentioned earlier, something like the gift economy and going, I just have to trust what it is that I'm doing is go, and my community or we're going to take care of each other. It is, it's scary. And I have a list of 19 different reasons why we don't jump and that fear of loss or that fear of success and all these other things and how much we have to lean into it to become ourselves and to make that work. And I never imagined being in this space. Like what you're going through now and expressing reminds me a lot of my own journey. And... I just wonder, like, what was one of the formative pieces, if there was one, or was it just a series of events that led you to this point to want to be able to draw this out in yourself and others? And then this reconnection with the earth that you're creating through the hands-on as well as the kind of scientific exploration. God, this stuff doesn't belong in the Permaculture Podcast. So, I mean, I told you I, I'm a student of healing. I studied ethnobotany. I studied Western herbal medicine started studying those things when I was pretty young in undergraduate school, but then I really just devoted years to being a student of healing um, in many disciplines, and that's really where a lot of my ahas happened and a lot of my you know, most difficult periods and deepest periods of growth. I wanted to know what healing was. I wanted to be a healer, you know, in egotistical ways and then maybe in some real ways too. You know, I studied a lot of stuff. You know, I studied so a lot of energy healing type of stuff, tradition of Barbara Brennan. You know, a lot of these sort of mystery schools that are just like, in somebody's basement, in the woods, <laughs> there's no marble columns, you know, can't tell the parents or they flip out. You know, things like, you know, Reiki, things like craniosacral unwinding. I had a really amazing teacher in that field, Gary Strauss. If anybody ever studies in California, find Gary Strauss. And then, you know, eventually... I had a spiritual teacher here in, in Baltimore area for about four years. I was doing a lot of sort of developmental type work, stuff that came out of the 70s, like primal scream stuff. You know, what came out of that, a lot of stuff is called rebirthing, breath work. A lot of lineages of Indian traditions. Um, it's called Kriya Yoga, very sort of esoteric lineages. 
And then there's something called integrative breathwork, also holotropic breathwork. Stan Groff, was a, he's a major influence for me. He's been a great teacher. Jack Kornfield, you know, Buddhist teachers. You know, I've, I just met a lot of people. I just, like, sought out every healer, every life coach, everybody I could find all over the U.S. Like, I was just, you know, a full-time job for me. And I... And that was just the start of where I, I started to really... I'd always been searching since I was a kid, so I was so miserable and so angry. But that was really the start of my self-initiated search. And I had, you know, a hundred ahas. And all of that material that I learned, which is not like the material of technical healing arts, you know, that's in there. Those are all tools that are in there. But the downloads that I learned and the passages that I had to go through and that I'm still going through and they get deeper and they get harder but more magnificent also you know those are what propel me so those those are like that's the body and now the it's it's strange to me even that I'm doing like that I'm even like a plant teacher like I just never I never never planned that like never thought it was going to be that never I was like I'm going to be a healer I'm going to get you know I never got a certificate in anything or like a certification in anything. I studied and studied and then I would leave and go to something else. I don't think I'm legally allowed to like put my hands on anybody. And now I, now I just teach people about dandelions and I don't really, you know, I can't give you a realistic reason about why that fits together. And I'm still, I'm still working on it. I mean, there, I've, I've been working on this schism between nature, between like, you know, the little kid in me that was Pocahontas and that could like, you know, like listen to the rocks the trees like that part that's now grown up and then this other part this like devotee this like you know this other part that does and thinks and feels things that you're not supposed to talk about you know or we think we're not supposed to talk about you know i haven't connected them yet and i've been really like one foot has been straddling each for a good two years now really straddling and i just haven't seen anything ever that is the full body of that, I've never seen it before. Because it's going to be unique for me, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm doing that, like I'm paving that in what I do, I think, for myself and maybe, maybe for a bigger, a bigger something. Um, to talk about it more, it's just, you know, it's just going to get into really out there stuff. It's this personal journey and interest in healing then that kind of extends further outward from yourself. And this, I think what I connected with the most about your story and what I come away from with this kind of work and practice is that this personal embodiment of healing and wanting to heal others directly through these practices, that it's become one now that as you heal others, it also heals the earth. That there's there's a multidimensional connection between the work of the healer and then the work of those who are the students then who come to learn about these practices. And then because it is so personal that not only are we as the individual transformed as the teacher, but also then the student is as well, and what we learn from one another. And then when we interact with the earth and these these ideas of other ways of knowing and intuition and such, that there is a story to be told by the landscape around us, whether that's the traditions of the peoples that we come from, or perhaps the way that we interpret the ideas of science and then create a story or a myth around them in order to make sense of them so that it's not so reduced it becomes whole and that something like the work that you're doing is is this holistic work in a most true sense of of the student the teacher and the landscape so if there's anything i'd like to do there's so many things i'd like to do one of them is to blow up this idea of healing the earth (laughs) like i would love for us to just be free of that just blow it up 
This idea that like, Mama Earth is suffering. We have to heal the Earth. We have to help the Earth. It's like, I mean, excuse me, but there are pieces of that that are just bullshit. We create everything. We are creating everything. Like in every speck of every moment, we're creating everything. And what I did learn from studying healing for so long is that there's no separation between healing, what we think of as healing, and becoming fully who and what you are. There's no, there's no I'm going to go over there and heal this, or I'm going to heal this ecosystem, or I'm going to heal this. It's usually an illusion of our, you know, our little self that wants to control or that has a lot of fears. Heal what's in here. That's, that's what I say. Or find it. Just listen to it. Like, go, go closer. Like, as close as it's uncomfortable. Every spiritual tradition, every esoteric tradition, every deep science has said this a million and one times. You know, it's everywhere. It's written in everything. It's in every piece of art. It's, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. I am that. Right? Or just I am. Amen. Om. You know. This. I am you, you know. That's that's the work of a life. You know, that's the work of that is the work of life. Anyway, is I've learned that I can do nothing, you know, just like like we know so well. You know, I you know, that saying I do nothing but what the Father does through me, you know, that stuff. Healing for me in a way, I've gotten rid of that word, in a way. I'm devoting myself to the, to the explosion and to the flowering of this. And you should each devote yourself to the full explosion and the flowering of that. And if you do, like, healing is inherent. It's just, it's just a byproduct, you know, I feel. And don't think that nature is out there and needs to be healed. Like, the nature we're seeing is it's just the reflection of what we're making in here. Like it, it sounds abstract, but it's really, it's really actually not. It's very tactile. Um, and that's, I don't know, one of the things that I, I would like for people to know and to trust and to be able to fall into. So then do you see it, for those who are the communicators and are sharing these stories, that it, it's a, a need to reframe the way that we're talking about this, about the kind of work that we need to do, that it's not a need to focus on ecological restoration as is so much, so much, yes. I guess my big question coming from that then is, is, then what does it become? Is it a personal practice then of some form that arises from knowing in some way that removes us from that disconnection of the self from the world around us? And then by doing that, if it's not healing, then is it that we become shepherds and stewards again? That it's not focusing on that restoration so much as just doing good in the world? There are many people and there are many traditions that would say that there are really only two decisions in every moment, to act out of fear or to act out of love, or to be fear or to be love. It might sound wee-wee, but that's become very hard as a nail for me, and it becomes sharper every day. And I think you could just kind of go about your whole life with just that. Like if, if you're running around trying to fix an ecology because you're afraid of whatever. Like, you're afraid that you're going to starve to death. You're afraid that the human humankind is going to starve to death. Or you're afraid we're all going to die of cancer. Or you're afraid 
that the ecosystem is going to die or you're afraid that the animals are going to die or you're afraid that the animals are getting sick or whatever. Any piece of fear that you can follow, if you can choose not to do, not to act from a place of fear, act from a place of love, even though it doesn't make sense. Love is this big thing, not like, I just love this thing over here. You know, love like, like the way water sounds. Love like a, it's a rushing that's everywhere. Follow that. Don't worry about it. Whatever you're doing, don't worry about it. If it looks like I'm a do-gooder, if it looks like I'm doing this ecologically sound, like whatever, throw it out. Like throw out ecology, throw out this conservation ecology, like throw it out. (laughs) It's based in fear. It's based in the fear that we're gonna, that we're gonna contaminate something, or we're gonna hurt something that's holy, or that's sacred, or that's pure. We are nature. Like, <laughs> we're nature being nature. We're nature, dynamically, changing, evolving, all the time, in ways that are totally unforeseeable. I mean, like the amount of creativity, that is just is inherent, is secreted in every moment, in every cell. Like, it'd blow our minds. Like, we all know, like, the whole, we could change the whole world in a minute just based on all the technology that every individual person has, like, come up with. Like, it's all, it's all there and more. That's not a problem, right? It's fear. It's fear. It's not fear itself, but it's choosing to align with it, choosing to act the way that fear would make you act. Then do you see your current work and your current practice as helping to remove that fear? from yourself and others, or if not, remove that fear to instill more love? Yeah, I don't think you can remove the fear, but to um, instill some trust. Boy, did I used to hate it when people would talk about the divine feminine, or Mother Earth, or, you know, the feminine has to come back. Oh, I, was, I had such an allergy and a resistance to that, especially in sort of, you know, spiritual sort of worlds. Oh, I hated that. I'm just starting to understand that. I'm just starting to get really tough, tough growth with respect to that. And I think there's something to it. And it has to do with, yes, a trust. Like, if we don't know, like, no, not think no, but if we don't know that we are so safe and secure in ourselves, in this, if we don't know that we are so supported in ways that we can't conceive of if we don't know that we are so cherished like the inner baby petal of like when a rose is blooming cherished like that petal if we don't know that then everything is scary then we're gonna be flipping out about everything like we gotta fix everything everything's falling apart Um, but once that trust is there and once i think the cells get a taste for that then there's the option to take a breath and to allow creativity to come about instead of just reacting from fear. One of the things that you remind me of is that for a long time, at least in my own life and that of many people who I've talked to throughout this process of recording interviews over the years, is that I don't know whether it's American culture or not, because I've only traveled so far and I've only met so many people, but that at least from the communities that I come from, there was a need to be invited into a space before we would do something with it. That some of the the journeys and travels that, that folks have gone on to learn about edible plants or foraging or herbal medicine, that it's not always self-directed because of that concern, well, I'm going to pick something and eat something that's going to kill me. Or a concern of placing oneself in danger until we're invited in and kind of stand on the outside for a while. And 
I look at things like the Forger's Apprentice program or even a permaculture design course or many of these different opportunities as spaces where people are being invited in to be carried through so that they can be empowered so that they can trust themselves and to be able to trust the decisions that they're making and no longer need to be invited in, but be able to step forward into their own space. As a friend of mine calls it, their one true thing, whatever that might be, um, whether it's interviews or foraging or wherever we find ourselves, that once we're, we're in that space and inhabit it and feel comfortable that we no longer have to be invited again, that we can step out fully and boldly into the world and do what it is that we feel called to do. But that until that occurs, we're just left feeling doubt. And at the same time, I know from my own journey, wonderment about all these wonderful, crazy, beautiful things that there were in the world, but that I just kind of, I felt like I was window shopping for a long time, waiting for the door to open and someone to open it and say, please come in before finally, in some cases, picking up the rock and breaking the window and throwing myself through it. (laughs) Yeah, I think I was just telling Eric the other day, God, my first, when I first started at that particular school here, which I'm no longer a part of for a while. I had to make a little binder about like that year stuff we were working on with images and I only picked one image and it was from a National Geographic magazine and it was just one big full color photograph of a young woman and a little girl looked like maybe in South America or maybe kind of in a borderlands area where it's just real kind of everything was cut down and there was just this big um, man-made sort of uh, water trench just in a straight line and uh nothing around and then just a plank over it and so they were bathing in the little trench that was full of kind of mucky water not real mucky and the woman the young woman was standing in the water and she was kind of all wet and she had just this like big smile on her face just this like sweet understanding just like smile the little girl was standing on the little plank of wood across the thing just wrapped in this little like ratty towel just like "Mm -mm, mm -mm." and there's this little like bar of soap on the plank and uh, for some reason, that I sometimes I even cry when I think of that photo. But I was like, that's what I want to be. And I'm like, that, that woman who's like, this little girl is just like so afraid. Like, I'm not going in that water. But to be the one who, to invite people into the water, um, you know, like, it's okay. <laughs> There's not like monsters in here, I promise. So, yeah, with, you know, with learning plants, it's, it's very technical. You know, it's like I, you know, I've accumulated a lot of knowledge over my young life, but it's very rapid. I think any person who really dedicates themselves to learning wild plants, you give yourself like two years, just like really, just like really be with it. You can really just like pretty much be on top of your own landscape. Three years and it's just like would be secondhand. And after that, wherever you move around, you could kind of pick up every landscape much more easily. But yeah, when you're getting started, it's like just beginning to tease apart like this one from that one from this one. It's very, it's very technical, but um, there's so many great learning opportunities in there, observation opportunities for seeing, learning how to see. I used to be an artist because I loved learning to learn how to see and how to unsee what we think we're supposed to see. Um, And it's the same thing with plants. And so we're reawakening all the senses again, like getting them all, not just like sight, like we only use so much, we use so little of sight and then, you know, touch. And then the more you do that, we have all these other senses we don't even really use, and those will come out and just be just as real as, you know, sight and taste and hearing, and those will get better. And as you do that, it, like, wakens up your own body more. And then you're meeting all of these, like, all of our fellows, you know? Like, I feel like until you are aware of where you are, 
you know, how can you act? But, you know, you can be in the same place and then like, oh, I know this one and I know this one. And then all of a sudden you, you know, what was the original definition of ecology? It was like community nature is a community or something. I mean, you really understand that. And it becomes, over time, to really know every plant is, is such a total relationship. I mean, there are, like, just so many levels beyond levels that you can just be in a place with, with a plant. It makes it it's so dynamic. And then your decision-making is, you know, then we become, like, human beings again, you know? And, like, our decision-making takes into account everything that's here. It's not just like, okay, this is a lot. We're going to move some earth over here. You know, we need to put in this building here. It's supposed to be here. Um, or like, this used to be a wetland, so we're going to do some conservation and turn it back into a wetland. So everything here has got to go. You know, it's like, at that point, it's, there's a green fly orchid here or something like, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, or like, there's dandelion. And we're not interacting with ideas of things. We can, like, interact with these tremendous brothers and these fellows of ours and they'll teach us and they're usually pretty straightforward you know about i used to like walk around like i'm gonna meditate with a plant go to a plant like i'm so sorry i hated you for so many years oh god forgive me like english ivy would be like whatever forgive yourself get over it (laughs) i realized it's all me it's me like generating all this stuff they're like oh nature's suffering it was me that was crying in me a lot of the times the plants are real straightforward. Like, yeah, just get with it. Just do it. Whatever. They don't seem to carry these, these projections that we're walking around with. To pull from the ideas of permaculture, there's that idea of obtaining a yield. But one of the first early lessons with that is that a yield is not a human yield. It's a, a yield within the system or the landscape that we're working in or designing for or anything else. And I find that there's not old idea from the the back to the land and the the disaster preparedness movement that the more you know the less you need and i find that within permaculture the more i know the less i design because i understand that as i get to know the plants and the animals they're not plants or animals anymore they're my neighbors they're part of my community they're actually an active part of the space that i inhabit myself in and by doing that when i look at that flower when you were talking about the many layers like the further and further you go i might first look at something like a violet because i want to teach my children a simple edible flower or a simple culinary use because we make violet syrup from it. But then as I continue to explore that further, I look at things like, well, what is pollinating this? What food is it providing? Um, knowing when that those violets come to central Pennsylvania, that gives me an idea of what time of year it is specifically when those start to flower. Then I can look for other things that are flowering then. Well, what do I want to propagate to help other plants, other pollinators, other animals in that area as I start to really become not only developing that community of in my own area, but also becoming a member of that community as well. And the more that I explore, the less that I need to get into these big, deep, heady, philosophical things because I just kind of go forth and I tend to the earth in a very realistic human way that it's not, oh my God, I've got to put my food force together. I need to order these trees on this date and these plants on this date and it all has to be in the ground tomorrow, which means that I should have ordered them yesterday. I didn't realize until I started doing this work myself how out of touch I was with the seasons. Even something as simple as being a CSA member and trying to eat locally within season. Because I could get apples all year round, anytime that I wanted, and all these other things. But now as I start to eat in that way, I have a better idea of the tempo of when things come into season and when they go out. And through that, have a better understanding of my own body as I crave certain things and listen to, oh my God, I want a steak tonight. Why? 
okay, well, well, what do I have? What can I eat? And become even more tuned into where these different things come from and the choices that I have to make. And one of the pieces that I've been exploring for a long time is, is living with intent and how hard it can be to do that when you're not aware of yourself and the world around you in a really meaningful way. And it's taken me six years to get here of constant practice of permaculture and study and interviewing and talking to go through that kind of self-work to arrive and to be able to step back and kind of, of lean into it and live into it and breathe it. It's been fascinating. It becomes so much more easy to relax when you, uh, when you realize there are infinite possibilities of what you need. That it's like there's so much being given right here when you have the eyes to see it. And even like, all right, if it doesn't work out, I'll fast today. You've done that before. Like, really, just all these fear things. You know, if you fasted a few days before, it becomes no big deal. You understand how it works, and it's a great opportunity. You know, it's not like, oh, God, I'm not going to have anything to eat tonight. You know, you could fast for 40 days, and if you're mindful about it, it'd be fine. Um, go through a great, great transformation. But as I learned from a friend of mine, when you come back from an extended fast like that, don't decide to eat a big basket of French fries. Why would you do that? <laughs> Because they were being made fresh there, and he was really hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that um, if there's anything that I would like maybe permaculture to embrace more, it would be um, trust in there being more than what we have decided that material is allowed to be. You know, like the baskets of fish and bread, that Christ story. Um, that, that was real. That actually happened, you know? wasn't a parable you know like it's such a precious path to know every piece of material but when we lock in on believing so strongly and put another belief and another belief and another belief and she has a belief and she has a belief and we all put our beliefs together that like there can be no greater yields than this or like this loaf of bread contains this many calories which can get me through this much we're creating it like we really are so we're not leaving room for what people call totally mystical stuff, but like for more than seems like should be allowed to be able to happen or be gifted to happen. I'm just talking about releasing an idea and an idea and an idea. It doesn't matter if they're true or not, but just recognizing it's just an idea. It's just like a belief that we had. Like this land can only produce so much. The swamp can only heal in this many years. Like, well, these are toxins, and they're going to stay in the soil for 100 million years. That's scientifically we've proven that. I mean, the, God, the shit that people have done in studies, and they get, like, some Buddhist monks to, like, you know, sit with a whatever. Who know, like, I know, I know I'm way, I'm way maybe <laughs> over the edge here. We create the limits. We create the limits. I couldn't say, I could not ethically say that to you if I had not experienced these things in like physical ways like if I had not participated in these things if I had not seen them I could not ethically say these to you and I'm saying them to you because I have I shouldn't be able you know we've decided these things shouldn't be able to be who am I if these aren't real like who are you what are we what that like what is all of this you know for God's sake we're just like we're kidding ourselves we're just, we're just like making ourselves, you know, we're, we're really kidding ourselves and we're really letting fear run the show. It's this bottom line, so popular idea that like, 
well, the Earth is about to die. It's going to be five years now or 40 years, but, like, this is the end times. You know, like, we know it's some, we know it's some crunch time. Clearly, it's a crunch, you know. Some people might call it dark night of the souls. People might call it, like, you know, whatever economical term you could use. But, like, we're in a crunch. We can feel it. We can feel it all. I don't anymore experience it as a fearful crisis. I don't experience that anymore. I've had a lot of help. I have a lot of teachers. I have a lot of teachers all the time. A lot of teachers. But I don't, I deal, I don't see it as horrible anymore. And it's horrible and things are gory. And like shit is happening all the time. There's like major pain, you know, horrific beyond horrific all the time. You know, and I'm, I'm one to speak, you know, like, you know, a plot of land gets like bulldozed next to me and I'm like a shrieking banshee, you know, it's like, it feels like my heart is being ripped out. That's been a whole life of that stuff. It's like, ah, oh, it's just a tree, you know, whatever, you know, and it's like my whole body's being chopped up and pee. I'm like Osiris, you know, that is real, you know, I'm not denying that suffering. And that's just people all over the world who are just being slaughtered and blown up and there's child sex slave it's like it's it's beyond the telling and beyond the imagining and if that's what we're holding on to that's what it's gonna be so with ecology i don't do that anymore i've been doing that for a long time holding on to fighting against fighting against you know the idea of invasive species fighting against the idea of restoration ecology fighting against and i'm not doing it anymore and it's been a long road, and I'm not doing it anymore because I realized that I was going into agreement with it by putting my focus there. And I've had my eyes opened there. And no matter what things look like, if it looks like we're in the slaughterhouse, and see Eden. Like, see it through your eyes, and you're making it. You're not going into denial about what's actually happening never going into denial about it or rejecting it or replacing it with something else. But no matter what things look like when they're going on around you, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing, doing now, these days. See the perfection. And it's not perfectness. See the perfection. And then you're aligning with the perfection. See the inherent creation, and you're creating it. This is a real work for me, and this is probably one of the most difficult everyday works. You know, in my realm, it's, it's with a lot of things. In my realm, a lot of it is with ecological stuff. And even to people, I was, you know, sort of talking online with a sort of friend of mine a few days ago that's going through something and, like, you know, a bunch of people are cutting down a bunch of forests where he is because they, they're selling the wood and, like, people are scared of the economy, so they're just trying to sell anything. So they're losing all these forests. Um, and he sounded all ripped up about it. And it's things like that. When something like that happens now, I'm not going to rage. My heart's going to break, but I'm not going to rage. But the heart will go to everywhere that people are acting from fear. Nobody does violence unless somebody somewhere is hungry or really, really scared. We don't do those things. Like, that's not human nature. Unless somebody is really hungry or really scared or their child is hungry. And if you devote yourself to this way of being, the heart will go to those places. Wherever they are, you don't even have to know. Like in those people, in myself, and the other people who are affected by it, it will just go there. And that can be your work. Not punishing them, not raging against the ecological, you know, imbalance. It's a different kind of work. It's still new to me. It's not what I expected. 
and I'm, I'm sure I've got an immensely long road to go on this um, and places for my eyes to be opened. But it is a very, it is powerful. It is very powerful. Um, and this is not about a certain one sort of certain field or this is, this isn't, I'm not talking about a one area of life. To me, this has become one whole thing, you know, like the crane fly orchid and the whatever, the hackberry tree. These are all in the same world to me as, you know, there's Mary Magdalene over here and there's, there's the Buddha and there's the Paramahansa Yogananda. Where is he? You know, there's the Christ. Okay. All of these things are unique in every life and every person, every arrangement of us. I'm one, just one little packet over here, one little arrangement. All of these things are, they're all unified to me in my own experience and they will be in everyone's experience and they are. There's no way to compartmentalize this. Um, and this is, this is truly magnificent. This is truly, um, this is truly an honor to have one of these. Like this really is an honor to have one of these bodies. Um, this, this is the magnificence to like be able to be here doing this. I mean, all of us that are like in form, we're on earth. We forgot that this is, this is the joy. Um, and this is where we're creating and we're, cre- we're creating everything. So if, if we don't like the way the world looks, well, we're creating it. So we better learn to recognize what we're creating in every moment and learn how to uncreate it. And that's what I'm doing and we'll continue to continue to learn how to do. And it's miraculous. It's absolutely miraculous. And that was Victoria Graeba of Charm City Farms in Baltimore, Maryland. Find out more about her work and the Forager's Apprentice program at charmcityfarms.org. You'll find links to these and other resources in the show notes at thepermaculturepodcast.com. While listening to Victoria and then putting this episode together, I was reminded of the parable, which you'll sometimes hear titled The Wolves Within, and is attributed to the Cherokee. A grandfather is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside of me. The old man says to the boy, This terrible fight is between two wolves. One is evil, full of rage, envy, sorrow, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other is good, full of joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight that I feel is going on inside of you and everyone else. The grandson thought about this and then asked, Grandfather, which wolf will win? The old man leaned in close and smiled. The one you feed, my boy, the one you feed. I've read or heard a version of this lesson dozens of times. For years, though a person of faith, I let go of feeding one side or the other and instead focused on the security of material things that were brought about by a full-time job, often working more than 60 hours a week. It was the only way I knew how to live or felt comfortable. And even now, there are times when I find it incomprehensible, but there is a mystery that arises by feeding that good wolf, that wolf of joy, that brings more abundance into the world and sets you free, opening unimaginable doors than I could have ever understood by continuing to live and maintain 
that normal status quo that I was told was the right and best way to live. As Victoria said, we each have a choice to act out of fear or act out of love. And for each and every one of us who are doing this good work, I hope that you're choosing to act out of the latter. Whichever wolf you find is currently getting fed, if I can help you, tend to it. Get in touch. My phone number is 717-827-6266. The email address is show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. And if digital means or the phone are not your preferred way to reach me, you can also drop something in the mail. That address is the Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, coming up is the Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence outside of Charlestown, West Virginia, on Saturday, June 18th at the Riverside Project. The keynote speaker for the day is Michael Judd talking about his experiences as a permaculture practitioner with opening remarks by Joel Glansberg. Classes and workshops are scheduled on Living in the Gift, Animals in Permaculture, Broad Acre Permaculture, Whole Systems Living, Plant Walks, and Tree ID Sessions. If you do plan on attending, please consider carpooling. And if you haven't picked up your tickets yet, get them today at midatlanticpermacultureconvergence.eventbrite.com. Until the next time, embrace the mystery of life and take care of Earth, yourself, and each other.